0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, you get, 20, 20 you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 83 of the Burden and Command Podcast. I'm your host. Earl Breon. Today's guest comes to me from my good friends over at Interview Connections, and his name is Tim Spiker. Tim is the founder of the Aperio and the Who Not What principle. This is a profound research based truth that has powered 15 years of leadership development success. Tim's book, The Only Leaders Worth Following, reveals that 77% of leadership effectiveness comes from who a leader is, and not what they do. Using this principle, Tim helps people become, be, and stay leaders who are actually worth following. Tim's work includes delivering keynote talks, creating unique and customized learning experiences, and guiding long-term development journeys. Tim has worked with leadership teams in North America, Australia, and Asia, now, this was a great conversation with Tim because it really is a great way to look at the world of leadership and what it means to be a leader. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So I'm not going to say a whole lot more about Tim, and I'm just going to let you dive right in and uh, enjoy this wonderful conversation I had with Tim Spiker. All right. Well, Mr. Spiker, hey, thanks for being with me and my audience today.
1: Earl, thanks for having me. Really excited to have the conversation.
0: Yeah, you know, me as well. And, and you know, for the listeners, uh, as I mentioned in the bio, uh, Tim is founder and president of the Aperio Group and author of an outstanding book, The Only Leaders Worth Following, Why Some Leaders Succeed, Others Fail, and How the Quality of Our Lives Hangs in the Balance. And I love, that, I love that title a lot because it makes me very excited to hear your answer to the first question I ask all my guests. What does the term burden of command mean to you?
1: When I hear that term, I, th- I start to think about the idea of responsibility mm-hmm. and and really what is the intent, desire, motive of the leader. And I think... There's a, there's a burden that comes on the leader where they have a choice. They have a choice to lead out of uh, ego, a choice to lead out of uh, self-centered ambition, or to choose a, a different and, frankly, more effective form of leadership, which is not about self, leading for the sake of others, leading for the sake of the enterprise. So I, I think the, I think the burden of command is that choice. That every leader, whether you're talking about an informal uh, leadership and in a cadre of friends, or if you're talking about something more formal in the marketplace or even the military, I think every every leader has the burden of that choice. What am I going to do with my command? The, the burden is, um, am I going to be doing this for me primarily, or am I going to be doing this for others?
0: Mm. I like that. I like that a lot because it's a it's a very important distinction uh, to make. And it's one uh, I'm sure you probably faced in, in uh, your experiences helping folks develop uh, their leadership. But, you know, nobody can appoint you leader over someone else. the The person following you has to consciously make the decision to follow you. Right. I mean,
1: the, certainly people have choices, e- even when their circumstances are are difficult, uh, they'll have a choice to stay with, or really when we look at the long term, short term, people may have to stay in a position of following somebody for financial reasons or geographic reasons, but in the long haul, they're going to have a choice, and
0: we always want to keep that in mind as leaders, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, I'm always kind of a big fan of uh, when I get the books for the podcast. Uh, one of the first things I do is I I, I look at kind of the layout and uh, the, the look of the cover. And, and uh, I've seen some very amazing features uh, in, in books. Uh, but there's one thing on your book that really starts stuck out to me right off the bat. And it's when the title, The Only Leaders is Worth Following, Worth has an asterisk next to it. <laughs> Why is that?
1: Well, it has an asterisk next to it because based on research that, that I've had a chance to be a part of, there's a very important backstory that makes somebody worth following or not, And so what we chose to do with the book to make sure that we kept in mind that backstory that's humming along all the time, whether we're looking at it or not, we use that asterisk on the front and throughout the entire book to point to a particular footnote that has to do with that research so that, so that it was essentially ever present, even though sometimes it fades into the background of leadership. So we, we thought the asterisk was a great way to visually communicate that that truth that lingers in the background about leadership at all times.
0: Mm. Now, and, and this is, again, where I love when, when people have uh, their their theme nailed down. Uh, you know, I visited uh, the Aperio website, and I think a lot of people overlook that little bit of art that shows up on the tab, but you also have the asterisk there as your web page uh, tab <laughs> art. And I, I love that attention to detail as a former active duty marine i love that attention to detail that, that's amazing
1: well thank you i will be sure to pass that on mike davis is uh our head of operations and he's also a great designer and he's constantly helping us think about how can we how can we visually communicate what we're doing well so i will be sure to pass that on
0: absolutely absolutely so uh so we heard what your um uh, what your answer to, to the burden of command question is. But what got you to be so passionate about helping others develop their leadership skills?
1: Well, it's not something that I can take credit for by any stretch of the imagination. There really, I mean, people sometimes have a story where there was a moment mm-hmm. and then after that moment, everything was different. And that happens to be my story with my vocation. About 20 years ago, I was waiting tables at a restaurant in St. Louis, Missouri, in the center of the United States. And I was invited by a fellow server to an open house for a marketing company. And I was just about to start my, my graduate business studies. And I had planned on having marketing be one of my points of emphasis. So I was intrigued by an open house of a marketing company. Also, at that time of life, I was pretty interested in anywhere where a free meal might be offered, and I was pretty sure that there was going to be a free meal at this thing. So between those two things, I was there. Mm-hmm. So this this event was held in a pretty pretty plain, you know, kind of a plain office building. And when I got there, I, I expected there would be a bit of a presentation of some kind, and lots of people were seated. The only the only seat that was available was right in the middle of the room. So I made my way to the middle. I sat down. And about three minutes into the presentation, I learned what an open house for a marketing company is, Earl. Uh, Earl, if anybody ever invites you or your listeners, if you're ever invited to an open house for a marketing company, you should ask more questions than I did. (laughs) So what I I figured out relatively quickly is this was a recruiting meeting for a multi-level marketing company. And I have... You know, I know lots of people have good things to say about MLMs. I don't have anything bad to say about them. But I was not interested in selling water purifiers to my family and friends. And so I kind of had a choice in that moment as I sat there in the middle of the room. Do I kind of make a scene and, and get out of there? Or do I just wait for the break, <laughs> you know, politely grab my sandwich at the back of the room and then get get out In that way. And so I decided that the polite route was the better route to take and I'm very thankful that I did because later on in that presentation, they started talking about what does it mean to be an employee. And Earl, it was like a dark cloud of doom and gloom entered the room. There was, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everybody was unhappy. You know, what if, what if my boss actually invested in my development? What if I was stretched and and brought along in all the best ways? What if somebody actually cared about me at work? On and on and on.
0: The Mm -hmm. negative
1: things about what does it mean to follow somebody. And at that point, I just checked out. I didn't hear another word in that presentation. The person up front started to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher to me. And I just sat there and thought, it doesn't have to be this way. I mean, how come somebody wouldn't say, "Hey, uh, hey, Tim, what is it like to work for Earl? And I can say, oh, it's the, it's the greatest blessing of my life. You can't believe how he pushes and coaches me. You can't believe about the things that I'm learning and that we're achieving. I can't believe about how he and the organization are investing, not only in me, but my family. Like, that's possible. But the answer was the dead opposite of that. And so that night launched me. I, I left that night. I did get my sandwich. I, did, <laughs> I didn't stay for the whole time. I, I did get the sandwich. I left. But as I walked to my car and got in my car to drive home, I just decided in that minute that I was going to start interviewing everybody that I had access to that I thought would have something meaningful to say about leadership, and Mm -hmm. that was 20 years ago. And essentially, you could say that those conversations have not stopped since that day, and I'm um, more passionate today than I have ever been about the importance and significance of leadership.
0: Well, you know, I, I'm hundred percent on board with you and, and leadership in my opinion is, is one of the largest areas of improvement that we have in the country and, and in almost every single organization. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know if you've ran into the same thing, but it seems to me like a lot of companies is, have this hard time of, of making a distinction between management and leadership and don't realize that most of their quote-unquote leadership development programs are actually management development programs. Mm. Mm. And, and well, they, this leader, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, go right ahead.
1: No, I mean, there is a, there's a distinction there, and uh, I think it has a lot to do with you know, how, do you just want people executing plans and kind of in an overseer perspective of others, or are you asking them to bring the very best out in the people that they're, in charge of the latter one would be more leadership but a lot of them are looking down the chain of command and just saying just make the numbers work mm-hmm. just make it work mm-hmm. and and there's not an emphasis on how to uh, get the very best out of people not only for the company's benefit but for their be- their benefit as well
0: yeah no exactly exactly but to get there you have to be somebody uh worth asterisk following (laughs) um and and you talk a lot throughout the book about this who not what principle so so unpack that a little bit for uh, uh for listeners
1: sure i think one of the important things to understand about the story that i'm about to share is that from an educational perspective i'm an engineer i love math and science and graphs and charts and so I like the idea of something that we would take a look at and see in terms of data, not just a good story. And that's actually where this, where this story begins. Uh, I was working for a boutique consulting firm, and we would bring people up to the west side of Pikes Peak in Colorado, here in the center of the, of the U.S., roughly the center of the U.S., for a week at a time. And we would put them through a number of leadership development experiences, including a number of assessments. And we were routinely being asked about these assessments. One of them was a personality assessment. Another was a natural ability assessment. And the third was a leadership 360, where people were getting feedback about their leadership from 360 degrees around them. So from their peers, from those they were leading, from those they were reporting to. And the question was, what's the magic mix? Is there a particular personality style or type Plus a natural ability that means somebody has a much better probability of being a great leader. And we had enough data to answer that question. So finally one day, having gotten that question many times from our clients, our resident number cruncher, Vanessa Kylie, she brought all the data together and, and she ran the regression analysis and she here's what here's what she found. Okay. Nothing. She found no correlation <laughs> at all between personality natural ability and leadership performance. And so in that moment I remember sitting in her office that night thinking okay well we have our answer when somebody says what's the magic combination of personality and natural ability our answer will very simply be there isn't one. And so there's no tree to bark up with regard to that. And I turned to leave her office and she said but we did we did find something that we weren't looking for. And so I'm like er yeah <laughs> what did we you know what did we find? Tell me more. Yeah, that's exactly right. She said, well, what the the statistical software, the SPSS software, has shown Mm. us is that there's a certain portion of our Leadership 360, there's a certain portion of it that's driving a larger portion of the variability in the assessment than it should. We had eight different aspects of leadership that we were measuring, and just two of them We're driving almost 70%. So if you think about a pizza split up into eight pieces, any two pieces would be worth one quarter of that pizza. That's what what the percentage should have been. But it was just a touch under 70%, which says, hey, there's something going on here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Years later, uh, Vanessa was able to rerun that analysis with 10 times as many data points. And that number jumped up from just under 70% to 77%. And... You know, all these things look very obvious now, but I will say at the time we were like, man, this looks really important, but I'm not sure exactly what it means. So it was literally a number of years later, Earl, I was sitting in my office. I had left the firm. I was working in an entirely different industry, and I was sitting in my office one day staring at the whiteboard thinking about this, this leadership model and research. And it just landed on me like a ton of bricks, what was special about those two areas, those two areas that were driving over three quarters of the variability on a leader's performance, those two areas were about who the leader is as a person. Hmm. The other six areas were about what a leader does. And that's when it was like, oh my goodness, if I round down from 77% 70, to 75 what we can say is that three quarters of your effectiveness as a leader comes from who you are not what you do and like I was sitting there I remember basically running down the hallway to my my mentor who was at the end of the hallway and saying hey he knew of the research I said this I think this is what it means and we just continued to test that data over and over again not only in, a, in its own self but also looking at data from other companies Like KRW, who's based out of Minneapolis, they had something published in HBR a number of years ago that showed it as well. Human Synergistics, which is a worldwide organization. Once you see it, you kind of can't unsee it. (laughs) And it's starting, if you know it's there, it's showing up again, again, and again, and again. And then with clients over the years, the stories have been the same across the board. That who you are has an enormous impact on how effective you are as the leader and if we ignore that reality, then we're going to be missing what is three quarters of effective leadership. Uh,
0: and and that is so powerful. And again, another, you know, there's another piece of data that backs up exactly what you uh, you found is, uh, you know, and Daniel Goldman and his research of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. He has the statistic that says uh, the way he words it is as much as seventy percent of your success mm-hmm. depends on the emotional intelligence of your leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's very interesting to see these numbers uh, line up across so many different types of research kind of aimed in the same direction of, of who you are as a person. The things that make you up as an individual, as we talked about in the beginning, that make you somebody that people want to follow has such a major impact on you uh, as a leader and the organizations that you lead.
1: Yes. yeah, It either enables or disables all those things that we do as leaders, all those what's, we call them the what of leadership,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who determines how effective our what is going to be.
0: Yeah. And and, and I think, you know, that's, uh, it's something we know kind of instinctually, right? Because uh, I think it was Simon Sinek. I heard him say, he goes, nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, man, I hope I'm managed well today. <laughs> Well, they say, "I hope I'm led well." <laughs> sure, right, right. <laughs> and, and and that's the thing, right? So the the easiest way I've found to dis, uh, delineate between management and leadership is management is about things, leadership is about people, hmm. and that falls very much in line with this idea of who, not what, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Does. That's
0: it does. I love it. Um, so talking about the book again here, and and I'm I'm wanting to leave. Uh, our listeners with uh, enough tidbits here so they run out and buy a copy of the book because <laughs> this is a really great book and it is really well researched the The engineering the math that makes sense because uh, you, you've done a really good job of showing some of these studies uh, relaying the statistics and then providing uh, references uh, in the back so th- this is definitely uh, the engineering side showing through a little bit Uh, But you you get into, chapter two is is simply titled Heartfelt. Uh Why is heartfelt important?
1: Well, if you take the first three chapters of the book, we initially uh, attend to the gut level instinct. The second chapter is about what you felt, and the third chapter is about the head or the data. And so One of the things that we want to help people understand, back to the instinctual thing that you said, is initially, like, you understand this. Maybe we need to walk through it just a little bit and help you see it. But people, if you, if you tell people a very little bit about leaders that might be worth following or not worth following, if you tell them about their titles, tell them about their skills, they're not going to have a real clear picture about which one is the better leader. But as soon as you begin to tell them about who those leaders are as a person, they don't have to know anything about research or anything else. They immediately know who the better leader to follow is. And so that's how we start out the book, is kind of walking people through that gut-level, instinctual understanding that everybody has. But Heartfelt is about walking people through the process of helping them see how the who-not-what principle has been true in their lives all along whether they had previously recognized it or not mm. we we feel and i mean that in every sense of the word we feel the significance of following leaders who have become well-developed people we also feel the significance of following leaders who, dove, who haven't done that hard work of becoming well-developed human beings and so it's not just a gut level exercise or a data exercise in our heads the leaders that we follow have a profound impact on, our, on the quality of our existence. And that doesn't mean it's easy or hard. Some of the most satisfying exercises in life are extremely hard to do. But when we're following somebody who's a great leader, we might be exhausted physically. We might be exhausted intellectually. But we have a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment when we get a chance to follow a really great leader. And the opposite story is true as well. You could take the most satisfying work, put yourself under the command of a really underdeveloped human being as a leader, and all of a sudden, the nobility of that work doesn't feel so satisfying anymore because we're trying to figure out how to survive following an undeveloped or underdeveloped human being. And so ultimately, Heartfelt in Chapter 2 is about helping people walk through their own experiences. I mean, it's one thing for me to share my story or share data. But we want people to take a, a journey into their own stories and help them see how the who, the who's that they've been following, have created better results and better experiences or worse results and worse experiences and that we have all felt the significance of that.
0: Mm. I, I love that. And, and you know, if I'm, if I'm understanding what you're getting at there, there's this authenticity piece, too, right?
1: Sure. Sure. I mean, we want to follow. We want to follow human beings. I mean, right. that's the, that's the bottom line, and that, that gets a little bit, earl, to that you know the fallacy of the perfect leader. Mm-hmm. Um, so many times, leaders are tempted to kind of put on this this coat of perfection. Don't don't ever let people see your flaws. And, and here's the thing: the people that are following us are are trust me, they're clued into the fact that we're flawed. They don't. It's not not a mystery. And so when we kind of give ourselves the posture of of we don't have any flaws or we don't make any mistakes, it does betray that authenticity piece. We know it. They know it. Let's just be honest about it. Some leaders are concerned that they'll lose credibility. And and what I would say to that is if you have multiple places – where you're following short, the solution is not to be inauthentic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't have an authenticity problem in that situation. You have, you have a competency problem Mm -hmm. and that's a, that's a different thing. So yeah, we want to follow real. We want to follow real people and we have a difficult time relating to people who, who act as if, or put on this facade of being perfect. And so, it's important. That authenticity piece is, is such an important part of being a leader worth following.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I'll share a real quick story here. I, I worked for a, uh, for an individual who was, uh, uh, I'll just say a John Maxwell acolyte. Now okay. I love John, I love John Maxwell's work. He does great work. I understand why uh, he sells as many books as he does. I understand why he has the following. He does <laughs> That's There's right. nothing against him. But this individual, every time there was a new book, would run out and get it and read it in like three days. And he treated it like a cookbook. You know, if if I do these things, I will get these results. But it wasn't authentic to him because he didn't take the time to internalize it and modify it to his style. And I was undergoing a performance review one time, and he made the mistake of asking me if I had any feedback for him. I said, "Are you sure you want me to answer that question?" He said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I want to grow." John Maxwell says, "I was like, okay, fine." Stop, stop reading books. <laughs> what? Said, Look, you you don't take and that was the conversation. You don't take the time to digest what's being said and personalize it. You read it, you regurgitate it, and it's not authentic, and nobody buys into it. Yeah. And, and we see a, well. I'll, I'll, I don't want to speak for you. But we see a lot of leaders that fall into that trap. They'll get a really great book. You know, it's the latest Maxwell. It's the latest Stanley McChrystal book. It's the latest Simon Sinek book. It's the latest Tim Spiker book. And they think that they can do those exact things, that exact way, and get those exact same results. But it's not that easy, right?
1: No. No, you know, I'm, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. It's not that easy. Especially when you're talking about who you are as a person and developing that. Yeah. Um, one of the challenges that we have as an organization in the marketplace is when a business will say, Well, that's great, Tim. That all that research makes sense. What can you do in three weeks? Like, <laughs> not much. You <laughs> know. I mean, we're working on who we're literally and then, and this is one of the, the uh, one of the things I'm probably pretty excited about in terms of us kind of being ambitious as an organization. We're literally trying to help people become more well-developed human beings Mm -hmm. that's what we're literally after because of how it hits the bottom line because of how it lands in leadership and so you know our analogy is as you see from the front of the book there our analogy for this is a tree Mm -hmm. and you know if you drive past a big beautiful strong oak tree and i were to say earl how long did it take to grow that tree uh you know, It sure wasn't three weeks. No, it's like 100 years. So, yeah, that's right. It's a lifetime. And so these are things that we will all be working on for a lifetime. And, and that's okay. And I'm not suggesting our clients need to hire us for a lifetime. But I am suggesting that there's a limited amount of progress that we can make in really short periods of time. What we need to do is help people take steps every single day over an extended period of time to help them become more well-developed who's, and I imagine we'll talk about this in a second, but there's two big buckets that that falls into, and, and those are challenging buckets that take time.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I mean, let's um, uh, go in, go ahead and get into what I think is one of them, and, and what I loved about this is it, it falls in line, uh, You know, one of the things we talk about here is the leadership failings, our shields of leadership failings. Okay. Uh, one of those is introspection and improvement, and you call it defining what it means to be inwardly sound taking yes. that time to look inside right
1: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so i think as we just think about those words inwardly sound think about a uh, think about a boat you know if i'm mm-hmm. going to go out in the ocean on a boat what does it mean for it to be a sound vessel right i i want it to be you know well constructed I want it to be able to weather a storm. You know, if something kicks up while I'm out at sea, I don't want it to rattle and fall apart. the The integrity of the hull needs to be rock solid. Where I don't, it's not only the where the boards connect to one another, but the board itself Mm -hmm. is solid and strong. And And so, when you think about that kind of terminology with a vessel, now just translate that over to a person. Who is the person that's not easily thrown off when the storms of life come up? Who's a person that is internal to who they are, well constructed? They're not easily swayed in, in one direction or other. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't listen to other people and they aren't willing to change their minds, but they don't panic. They don't see a challenge on the horizon and say, Oh my goodness, the, the world is the world is falling apart. No, they, they get working to figure out what to do, but they do it in a measured way, not a panicked way. It's the kind of person that you can count on because we could even go literally to the word, you know, what what level of integrity does that person have? All those things, and, and frankly a whole lot of other things that we could talk about ultimately is what makes up a leader who is inwardly sound, a person who is sane and stable and ultimately trustworthy. And those are the people that really
0: get the best out of us. And, and that is something that that is a lot more difficult to pull off than what most people would think, right? Because <laughs> we can lie to ourselves quicker than anybody else can lie to us. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we can convince ourselves that, hey, I'm, I'm inwardly sound. I've got my stuff glued together. People should follow me when, in reality, other people can view us as an absolute wreck sometimes, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I really, as you think about that, the idea of introspection and self-evaluation, you know, Tasha Yurik is a researcher and and her research has shown that 10 to 15 percent of leaders are Mm self-aware. That should scare all of us. (laughs) Like, how do I? Um, It's difficult for people to speak truth to power as leaders as we move up the chain of command in our organizations you have to work harder and harder and harder to hear the truth and to hear the truth about yourself. It's very challenging and it's understandable because of the power dynamic that that lives in any organization. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately it's really tough to get that. And, and I think what you, what you said there starting off around this is, is really true. It is easy for us to lie to ourselves. It's easy for us to assume the very best about ourselves when we should have a pause. And, and I had a, I had a a pre-reader on the book, uh, a gentleman who I think is just an outstanding leader. And I said, hey, give this a read-through. Give me your feedback. Let me know where we need to make some adjustments. And and one of the feedback points he said about the book, he said, Tim, I think your problem is going to be that people are going to read this and assume that they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, like, this is your challenge. Your challenge is, is how do you get people to pause long enough to hold open the possibility that they may not be and you can go through the list of things that we talk about in the book, but in this case, they may not be as inwardly sound as they're self assessing, as they're seeing. And and how do we how do we all take a, a deep breath long enough, have enough courage and humility in the moment to say, Okay, I'm going to look at this honestly or I'm gonna get help from outside of myself, right? To to look at it honestly and, and that's a that's a real challenge in this work because we all we all I think you know, you go through this research, I think we would all want to say, hey, I'm this, this describes who I am, or at least who I'm becoming, for the most part. And it's hard for us to be uh, honest with ourselves about that sometimes.
0: Yeah, and it's even the small things, right? Like, so one of the examples I use to, to highlight what you just said is, uh, you know, and I'll often will wait in a workshop until after lunch to drive the point home. <laughs> like, how many of you had a sandwich with onions on it for for lunch people raise their hand like breath smells pretty good right now huh (laughs) oh yeah yeah yeah. well does it (laughs) right and and if we can (laughs) lie to ourselves about something like our breath which is literally right under our nose where we should be able to identify that flaw the easiest yeah what else are we lying to ourselves about that we don't even know
1: yeah no it's a great that's a great point now coronavirus masks have really helped with this issue I found in my own life, like wow, I need to brush my teeth. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so you, yeah. You just found the silver lining in coronavirus. So you
1: know. uh, yeah, yeah. Well, so you got to look pretty hard. So. Better <laughs> oral <laughs> hygiene. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, that's a great. That's a great. Uh, that's a great exercise and question, question to ask folks after lunch. That's really uh, yeah, drives home the point.
0: Right. And uh, so the, the other component here. After we've taken the time to, for introspective and come to grips with you know who we are and maybe what some of our shortcomings are and, and uh, taken the time to work on those, uh, then we talk about being others-focused. So talk about that for a little bit.
1: Yeah, this gets a little bit back to our opening question about the burden of command. Ultimately, why am I leading? If my only motive for leading is my enrichment, my ego, my advancement, then there's going to be a real limit on the effectiveness of my leadership. Because when I when I go to somebody and say, hey, I'd like you to run through this wall, whether it's conscious or not, if I am a self focused, selfish, self-interested leader, there's a portion of the want to not the have to, but the want to of the people who are following me that won't be available. There's a discretionary effort piece that I won't have earned because they're going to have, and rightly so, this this suspicion, whether it's front of mine or back of mine is why am I being asked to do this? Am I being asked to, to do this really hard thing? Am I, am I being asked to run through this wall just so you can get your bonus at the end of the year? Is that, is that really what this is all mm-hmm. about? Um, I mean, you're telling me that this is good for me, but is it really? Because I've been watching you. I've been watching you for the last three or four years. And what I have seen is somebody who doesn't really notice others, somebody who doesn't really pay attention to others, somebody who's not really, they just don't really care all that much about others. I mean, to the extent that we can help you achieve the the quarterly and annual goals, you care, but not really much beyond that. So now you're telling me we're going to take on this really hard project and I'm going to have to jump through a number of hoops and through a number of walls. And I just don't know that I see a great reason to put all of myself into this. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Now all of that conversation might be subconscious. It's not Mm -hmm. always, you know, overt inside of our heads, but ultimately if we want to be trusted as leaders, we have to be others focused. Because, I mean, and this part's almost so logical. It's like, okay, I'll say it out loud. But when somebody is just interested in themselves and they ask me to do something, I don't trust them as much as if I'm talking with somebody who's really interested in me and in others. I don't have to question their motives as much. And so it's it's, a, it's not a really complicated idea. But ultimately, I think that when we when we land on this planet, I think that each one of us is you know burdened with the self-interested perspective. I know that I, I know that I have that issue mm-hmm. and I try to work on it every day. It's a, you know, sometimes it's an act of will, sometimes it's an act of faith. I'm trying to become a less self-interested, self-oriented person because I want to be worth following too. I mean, just because I, you know, just because I was involved in the research doesn't make me worth following. <laughs> so, you know, ultimately it's a it's a struggle against self-interest. And I don't think that I will ever have complete victory until the day that I stop breathing. It's probably when that struggle will be over, but I want to struggle. I want to struggle against that because I know that's what's going to make me a more trustworthy leader for others.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is extremely powerful. And, and, and being others focused, uh, you know, I mean, it can look like a lot of things, Uh, but, uh, you know, doing my due diligence setting up for this podcast and listen to some other things that you've, uh, uh, interviews you've been on and you have a great story, uh, from your, uh, from your Purdue days and being a Indiana based podcast, I got to bring up Purdue just to make some of my listeners happy there, you know, boiler up, right?
1: Yes. There we go. Yes.
0: (laughs) But you, you talk, you share this story about, um, uh, was it coach Katie? Yeah, Gene Katie. Right. Gene Katie. And and oh. this gesture that, that he did with one of the contracts with Nike, right? Yeah. 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 So share so, that story for a second, sure. please.
1: Sure. I, I love I, this is a I, I love getting a chance to share this story. Um. So yeah, I was on a basketball team for two years at Purdue, and I was a non-scholarship player, also known as a walk-on. And mm-hmm. while uh, I, you know, had great desires for you know playing time and contribution during games. My abilities didn't quite allow me to get over the hump there. I didn't make, my, I believe, you know, something like twenty-seven minutes in two years is how much I played. So everybody can do the math on that. Um, so I, was, I played a very minor role in the program. Is is the point of that? And after a couple of years, I felt like. Now, I just want to make sure that I'm making a contribution. So I ended up transferring and finishing my college basketball career at a Division three school in St. Louis called Washington University in St. Louis. And right about the time when I finished up my undergraduate studies and my playing days there, I got a letter in the mail from uh, Bruce Weber. So those who are Purdue fans might recall Bruce was a longtime assistant for Coach Katie and has gone on. He's currently the head coach at Kansas State. And this was a letter from Bruce explaining – what Coach Katie had most recently done in his contract with Nike. So right after I left Purdue, uh, and I still say we, because it is, uh, you know, I'm still black and gold. Uh, right after I left Purdue, uh, we won three Big Ten championships in a row. Now, I like to think, Earl, that there's no correlation between me leaving and that happening. So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm pretty sure that there's not. But this letter from Coach Weber on behalf of Gene Katie said just it was just an amazing thing to read really what it said is our program has experienced an extraordinary amount of success over these last three years and we want to recognize that the success that we're having today is in part because of the players who have been a part of the program in the past and so in coach katie's most recent contract with nike he has negotiated an arrangement where Nike will send out a piece of Purdue basketball gear, whether it's a sweatshirt or polo or whatever, that you're going to get something from Nike once a year because Coach Katie put that into his contract with Nike. And we just wanted to say periodically, thank you for contributing to the basketball program at Purdue. And I I just, I mean, I sat down in my living room. I'm like, this is nuts. Mm. I played 27 minutes in two years. I mean, talk about a small contribution. Now, I mean, I was I was doing everything that I could in practice, but I would have been the most minor of contributors ever, and then consider the fact that I transferred mm-hmm. and finished my, my college career elsewhere, and still they were including me. And then on top of that, more important than they chose to make me a part of it, but that Coach Katie would look at their current success and then think back of how the previous seasons had, you know, contributed to building up the program to where they were able to achieve those three Big Ten championships in a row. And I just I just think it says I'm a huge Gene Katie fan, as you can tell. I think it says a whole lot about Gene Katie and leadership because I had and most all of my teammates, save perhaps a few, that went on to the NBA, you have nothing really to contribute back to the Basketball. Once you're gone, like you don't really, you don't have anything significant to give back. And you know, people will often say you can tell the most about somebody in terms of how they treat people who have nothing to offer them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that would be the perfect definition of me at that point with regard to Purdue, Purdue basketball. I had nothing that I could offer Purdue basketball that would have be any significance to Purdue basketball. And yet, Coach Katie was blessing me. Coach Katie was was reaching out and saying thank you. And I just think that that matches up because when you, when you understand the story of the Purdue basketball program, a lot of people are familiar with the term play hard. Uh, it's a, it's a mantra of Purdue basketball. It was true then it's true. Now we had it screen printed on the back of our practice shorts, uh, Matt Painter, who's the coach there. Now he, he and I were teammates. He's continue continued on with that attitude of, of play hard. And, you know, during Coach Cady's 25 years at Purdue, Purdue was rarely, if ever, the most talented team in the Big Ten and routinely picked, uh, not necessarily exactly at the top of the league, but time and time again, Purdue teams would outperform their preseason predictions in the Big Ten. And, and I think the reason for that is because we did want to run through a wall for a guy that had our best interest at heart. Um, I think that he is a he is a others focused leader. I never had a moment of playing basketball at Purdue where I thought that Gene Katie was trying to satisfy his ego or pad his bank account. I think he was, he was there for us. We would have, uh, or we would have an emphasis of the day every single day in practice, and once in a while it was about basketball.
0: Right.
1: Most of the time it was about life. Yeah. So you just got a sense that that Coach Katie saw you as a person. And saw you as a whole person not just uh, somebody who could crank out a basketball win for him and so that elicited great loyalty that elicited great effort and ultimately that produced more wins than than people predicted it would for 25 years
0: yeah well no I mean and that's a it's an amazing story and it's one you know it highlights a lot but there there's a couple of points that i I kind of want to point out because it To me, it ties back to that introspection piece, right? And it's something we love to do to ourselves. So as you're telling the story, it's a fantastic story, but whether you realize it or not, you kind of diminish that 27 minutes and what you have to offer back. Well, brother, I'm here to tell you, 27 minutes playing basketball for Purdue (laughs) is about 27 minutes longer than 99.9 cents <laughs> of the world, a percent of the world's population will ever get a chance to do. So love and relish every second you were there. Right? <laughs> that, that, that was a great accomplishment in and of itself. Good point. But I think you did have a lot to give back to the organization because here you are this many years later and you're still talking about it and you're still keeping coach Katie's legacy alive and you're still keeping those principles that you learned from him and your time there and incorporating them in great work like your book. And so, yeah, I, I, but I think that's the great thing about leaders, right? Is, is they may not see those obvious points of contribution and they may not even do it for those obvious points of contribution, but they know that being others focused is the way that you build a legacy, generate loyalty and, are remembered for a long, long time.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're, (laughs) you, you are describing Gene Cady at Purdue because he is, you know, he's been uh, retired now for 15 years, but he's around. He's part of the program. He is beloved and he's, he's Purdue first. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just saw a clip actually this past season. Well, you know, now it's getting strange with coronavirus, but last year, (laughs) last year, um, Purdue beat Indiana, of course, their huge rival down in Bloomington. Right. And there was a clip on Twitter of some scenes from the locker room just after the game. And Coach Katie was in attendance at that game. And earlier in the week, Purdue had played Iowa. And Tommy Luce, who is essentially, you know, a cult hero at Purdue now, he was the walk on for four years there. And, uh, Purdue had blown out Iowa earlier in the week, and Tommy got some time and had hit not only one, but two threes during the game, which meant that the roof of Mackey Arena nearly came off. And uh, even to the point where he got some play on the Scott Van Pelt show on ESPN for how for Scott's kind of pumped up Tommy. So Tommy's, Tommy's the walk-on who, who doesn't get meaningful minutes, but is behind the scenes doing everything he can to try to make the team better. And so here's this scene at IU, in the locker room after the game, the team is celebrating a big win at Indiana. And just off to the side, you can hear and see Gene Cady, legendary Hall of Fame basketball coach, in the midst of that great moment, talking to walk-on Tommy Luce about the two threes that he hit earlier in the week against Iowa. And so, to me, it just reinforces the type of human being that Gene Katie is is that he sees people it's not just about the superstars it's not just about all these other things that are big he had you know he's 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 paying attention enough that that it didn't matter that Tommy didn't get to play a lot that the coach Katie's having a conversation with him about what he had done it, to me it's just a it's a great picture of who Gene Katie is
0: yeah, no, and, and that's an excellent. Uh, I mean, that, that's an excellent uh, add on story there because, you know, it, I always go back to something my grandfather said when I was younger, and I've shared it on this podcast a couple of times, but I never understood what he was saying. It typically happens when your grandfather's imparting wisdom on you, right, at a young <laughs> age. But I remember we were, uh, I'm from a little small town in Northeast Tennessee, uh, Irwin, Tennessee, and uh, we had a. It's a little plaque statue thing that was up and and I didn't know who it was for. I still don't know who it was for. You know, but I asked him, I said, you know, why do they do that? Why do they build statues of people? And he looked at me and he goes, you know what, son? He goes, When I die, I'd rather have people asking the question why they didn't build a monument in my honor than asking why they did. Wow. And and it, it took me years to figure that out. But, you know, and monuments come in a lot of ways, right? And 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 your and I know this is a sentiment that a lot of people share with coach Katie being in Indiana, uh, being around a lot of Purdue grads, your memories and the stories you share that's the monument to him. Now, if I remember right, he has like some plaques and does he have a statue at Purdue?
1: The court is named after him.
0: Right. right. Yes. Katie court. Right. So, you know, yeah, he's got physical monuments, but I, I think even if you asked him, Hearing you tell stories, and not just you, but hearing everybody tell stories sure. like that, yeah. you know that that tells him that he is a leader worth all the asterisks mm-hmm. following. Right <laughs> there, you go. Yep.
1: Well said. Yep. Very well said. Absolutely. I love it.
0: Absolutely. Well, Tim, we're uh, we're sitting here. We're approaching about the fifty-minute mark here, roughly. Uh, and it's been a fantastic conversation. Just, you know, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast and having this discussion with me and my listeners today.
1: Well, I, I, I'm I'm super appreciative. You know, anytime I get a chance to talk about these ideas, I mean, this is the, you know, this is the vocational purpose of my life. And so anytime I get a chance to share with people about uh, this idea of who, not what, what, what the research says and some stories that go along with it, I'm appreciative. So thank you for having me.
0: No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, before we we close things out completely here, um, we, we only touched on a portion of the book. And again, to remind listeners, the book is titled The Only Leaders Worth Following, Why Some Leaders Succeed, Others Fail, and How the Quality of Our Lives Hangs in the Balance. So we only touched on small portions of the book. There's a lot more meat left on this bone. But before we close out, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you really want to leave the listeners with before we move on?
1: Well, I think what I'll, what I'll do with that is just reiterate something that, that you brought up, because I think it's so important as you, as you talk about this idea, essentially, of uh, whether you want to call it self-assessment or self-evaluation or reflection. Uh, one of the things that we are constantly challenging the leaders we work with to do is look in the mirror. And, you know, that's difficult. It takes courage. We have to be open to the fact that we might not find everything to be awesome when we do that. But it is so, so critical if we're going to be the very best leaders we can be. So as, as you had, had brought up the idea of reflection, I think I would just come back to that to say it's really, really critical, really important, essential, uh, not something that we can skimp on. If we're in leadership positions, we we have to be willing to evaluate. We have to be willing to be uh, self-critical in a sense. And so, I think I would, you know, want to want to leave us with that idea, kind of piggybacking, you off, off of what you said earlier. It's so important.
0: No, I I love it. That is is outstanding. So, with him, uh, hopefully. Uh, through the course of this conversation, we got people interested in buying the book. They fell in love with you and, and your message and they want to reach out and they want to find out more uh, about uh, the Aperio group and, and what you do. How can they do that?
1: Uh, thanks. So the easiest place to find us is at the only leaders.com. The only leaders.com. And as you'll, you'll arrive at our website there, you'll have an opportunity. If you're, if you're interested in being a part of our email list, we're about to publish a discussion guide to go along with the book. We we're actually working on it earlier this morning, so we're mm-hmm. uh, about to get wrapped up with that. And there's also an opportunity there. There's a little uh, there's a little code box, and for your listeners, you know, we we do things with our clients called journeys. Now we don't actually you know go out on the trail and go somewhere, but because this is such a uh, such a self-development experience we call it a journey and um, we have new journeys launching in in 20 and in 2021 Um, so if somebody who's listening to this podcast if they were to write into that box burden to go along with the uh, name of the podcast here burden of command then if at any point in 21 they decided to join us on a journey we would give them 500 dollars off so we wanted to make that offer to uh, to your
0: listeners Oh, that is outstandingly gracious. Thank you very much for that.
1: Yeah, sure, happy uh, to do it. Happy.
0: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that, and I will make sure that I have that information uh, in the show notes and have the links in the show notes to make it easy for them to uh, to find you and and uh, hopefully take advantage of that. That's uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm very humbled by that gesture. Thank you very much. Absolutely,
1: absolutely, and and I know. I know there's so many people listening who who know of your military background, and I, I said it to you, you know, off air previously, but I want to say it on air, air now. Thank you for your service. It is, it's so. Um, uh, I get I, I have trouble I have trouble getting to the words that I'm I'm so appreciative for for people like you that have served our country and created the freedoms that we have. So
0: thank you. Well, well brother, it was my pleasure, 100. percent So thank you. Um and, and again, thank you very much for your time. I know you're a busy individual. Uh thank you for carving out some time to uh be uh with me in my audience. And uh to the audience, thank you for sticking with us and uh listening to the conversation that we had. Uh be sure that you show the support for uh Tim and his group by uh checking out the book, taking advantage of that great offer. That is an amazing offer, five hundred dollars off. Um and you'll get something out of it I have no doubt you've heard the conversation that we just had Uh, if you have any comments questions or concerns for me you know how to reach out at burden.command at gmail.com keep rating, reviewing and and subscribing and sharing the show with everybody you know and helping these great messages get spread Uh, you're doing a lot of great work on that area and I just want to thank each and every one of my listeners for that and with that I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. ElectroCast. Transform your influence. ElectroCast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, Free From Bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production.